Hello, Sopranos podcast fans. It's Chris D'Amato here. Please forgive my stuffed nose. I have COVID and I'm a little under the weather. But here is part two of our season three retrospective. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. So when it happened, guys, I did a little outro, uh, intro on the podcast, but I wanted to give you guys a chance since this is our first recording since the death of Peter Bogdanovich. I wanted to give you guys a chance to just say anything you want to say about Peter Bogdanovich and Elliot Kupferberg since he uh, was unfortunately taken from us this uh, past uh, month. Yeah. Anything uh, you want to say about him, Elliot, and his contribution to The Sopranos and film or whatever? He was honestly, uh, he's one of my favorite characters on The Sopranos that are in like that, um, like, outer supporting cast. You know, it just yeah. he's someone I always enjoy seeing because I think he's just... On site, so funny. Yeah. But also, all of his scenes are really good. He lends a certain verisimilitude to, like, those scenes on the show because he's someone that seems so knowledgeable just both outside of the show and on the show. Do you know what I mean? Yes. My memory about Bogdanovich, the first one is my dad telling me about this movie called The Last Picture Show when I was young. And seeing it, very interesting movie. It was different. It's compelling. It's rich. It's nostalgic. And this young filmmaker at the time, Peter Bogdanovich, who made it, and some of his other work, including later on in season five, I think, directing an episode of The Sopranos, bringing his own style to it. Mm -hmm. And hearing David Chase talk about him on this show was cool as well. Um, the fact that he seems deliberately chosen because, not even because he's done some acting, but because his vibe is so the polar opposite of Melfi's quiet empathy. This character's a bit more removed, a bit more intellectual, a bit more aloof in some ways, but also very funny. Uh, I guess Bogdanovich brought the water bottle himself. Yeah. And he was like that, and David Chase said that was his thing, and it was it, it just clicked immediately. <laughs> so, and I, yeah, I agree with Jordan, like, without even necessarily too much screen time overall, he really made a dent in the show and made huge contributions to movies and worked with a ton of interesting people. So he will be missed. Yeah, I'll miss him and his beautiful Basset Hound face. And all of the great work he did. His scenes with Melfi are always really good. Yeah, and he rules. No spoilers, but he's got a lot of great shit coming in the show, too. So, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Elliot. Moving along here, I want to talk about Uncle Junior this season and the interesting direction they took with him. And on, an, on a grand glance, if you're looking at specific plot points and story beats... It almost may look like Junior's storyline this season was an excursion, uh, in a sense, because he's a primary antagonist at the tail end of his prime here in season one. He's made boss, but very briefly there to take the lightning rods and th there to be a lightning rod and to take the hits, and he gets indicted. Season two, we deal with the fallout of that war and... His legal troubles, the house arrest, and the impending issue with Richie, and is he going to waffle again and side with Richie, or is he going to stick with Tony? He sticks with Tony. The trial should be coming up, and he gets this cancer diagnosis. But I, the more I thought about it, the less it feels like an excursion, and more a great way to explore this character, because first and foremost, Junior's primary concern and challenge is this is a character trying to hold on to his dignity yeah and cancer is one of those things 
anyone who's experienced someone who has had it or who has had it themselves understands that it is a process that is riddled with indignity and struggle. Mm -hmm. It's a tough thing. And to see this hardened gangster this late in his life at this point go through this is great character development for Junior. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed I enjoyed watching the stuff around it. I enjoyed seeing Tony with Dr. Kennedy and that whole situation. Tony get to be use his gangster cunning for heroics. So, thoughts on Junior's journey in season three? It's an interesting one. I think that in some way it's pulling back even more than season two did because in season two there was at least still a thread where he was connected uh, to Richie to a possible route back to power or something like it. Yeah. Here it's dealing much more, I think, again, with that indignity and certainly his becoming ill, which brings up a couple things. It makes him more, in some ways, even more ridiculous. (laughs) <laughs> um, because in another toothpick, his behavior is just completely insane. And it makes him more <laughs> legit vulnerable. He is in pain. He's he's scared that he could die. Uh, the, whole, the whole thing. It, this also brings out something else in Tony, where in spite of everything they've been through, Tony insists that he be shown respect when he's with the doctor. He wants to look after him. There's also a couple of beats. They're short, but where I think we see them and it seems, again, entirely conscious and deliberate, where Tony and Junior are more functionally aligned. Could just be something small like in Pine Barrens, I need you to get Bobby Buckle on the phone, I'm going to come over to your house, we're going to meet up. There we just see Tony and Junior operating together, and when Bacala, uh bucks a little bit at the whole thing, Junior just says, go with my nephew, do what he says. There's a couple beats like that, where it seems like J- Junior, again, the future may hold something different, but things have evened out a touch between he and Tony. And now the end of it, the end of the season sets up his going forward, the trial is coming up. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have much to add other than that, you know, this is this is Junior at the most diminished we've seen him. I mean, cancer diagnosis brings him so low. Uh, and I think Dominic Chinisi is just an amazing actor and really yeah. sells those moments in a beautiful, painful way. And also Junior has this lovely moment right at the end of our season. Uh, it's a it's a great moment where he is singing and everyone is watching him sing, and this is like his song where he's going to try to celebrate what remains of his life, and that's a that's a brave choice to live that way, and I hope he gets to do that. Um, I've said this on the show a couple times. I don't have a great memory for what happens next on the show. I I don't really know what happens to Junior. I, I want... I want good things for him, which really speaks to this character's development, because early in the show, I was like, fuck Junior, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Exactly. He's a great character. He's one of my favorite characters. And speaking of favorite characters, I think it's time for another top three. Top three. Top three. Top three. They're getting better. We have to juggle this up. We have to dial it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are actually getting somewhat listened. I'm sure the people listening are like, no, it's not. It's not getting better. We hate it. Right. Great. Right. Characters and performances. I'll start us off. Sure. I have an honorable mention. Yep. Aaron Arkaway. Yes. <laughs> I sure. have to mention him. It's a small role. You love him. You love him. Small role, but I do, I do. I do love this you love character. Him. He's so goofy and funny, and the idea of... Pairing Janice up with this guy especially, just it's just so funny. I don't know how they conceptualized that, but it's so good. 
and he that it's a great mother jumping lyric jam he's just so perfect on that the his awkward posture the fact that he has narcoleptic too like making him a uh you know awkward looking born again christian guy wouldn't have been enough he's gotta be narcoleptic too and just pass out on the couch uh, so, and at the dinner table... He's very funny. He's, he is risen. So well, and I mean, he's a, he's also a fanatic, but he's so pleasant. Yeah. It's so... If he right. were sort of, like, in your face with it in a different way, it would not be funny or ironic. Yeah, exactly. But... That's the thing. He is, he's, <laughs> right. he's just a very pleasant guy. And I went into the explanation on that, because I have a feeling he's not on any of your lists. But with that he said, is, I'm going to begin... I'm going to begin my official list. We're going to give our, our numbers, and then go into the explanations after, because this may have some crossovers. So, with that said, my number three is Joe Pantoliano as Ralph Cifaretto. Very nice. Uh, my honorable mention is for uh, Michael Imperioli mm. as Christopher, who I feel like he either makes my top three every season or he's just on the honorable mentions list. So, this is a guy I'm just always interested in Christopher. Mm -hmm. I think he's a great character. Uh, I think he provides some of the show's best moments, which I'll talk about. Um, but my number three is also Ralph Cifaretto. Cool. All right. Uh, three honorable mentions, really quick. Edie Falco as Carmela Soprano. Uh, Michael Imperioli as Christopher Moltisante. Chris has not made any of my lists. I want to talk about why. And uh, Jamie Lynn Siegler mm. as Meadow Soprano. We'll come back to that. And my number three performance, Lorraine Bracco, Jennifer Melfi. Mm -hmm. My number two is Edie Falco as Carmela. Uh, my number two is uh, Annabella Sciorra as Gloria. My number two is Joey Pantoliano as Ralph Cifaretto. My number one, Lorraine Bracco, Dr. Melfi. Number one, Lorraine Bracco, Dr. Melfi. Number one, Gloria Trillo, mm. Annabella mm. Sciorra. All right, so we're dealing with the same couple here. The yeah, same, yeah, yeah. We all repeated basically the same ones. Yep, yep. Uh, why don't we start with the only one that was not shared, which I think was Edie Falco. Sure. Well, right. he had an honorable mention, Edie Falco, right? And I. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, let's, she was just, let's start with Edie Falco. Yeah, yeah. I love Edie Falco's journey this season. It's different. It's it's so understated because she's kind of a lot of the times in the previous two seasons we've seen her in relation to Tony, or in relation to other familiar characters like Father Phil or the kids. What I like about season three is she starts off adjacent to Tony. And her beginning of the season is relatively quiet compared to previous seasons. And you're wondering, what's going on with this woman? They reconciled as best they could at the end of two with the whole arena thing coming up and the fight they had there. And her journey is her own journey this season. She's seeing people we've never seen before. She's going to therapists. She's wondering what her future is and Edie Falco just brings such a lovely she has had more present seasons and by present I mean screen time and intensity than this season and she's going to have more explosive and interesting on a big surface level seasons but because Edie made so much of this personal journey Carmela goes on this season I couldn't help but be in awe of it Sure. So that's why I, I selected her. Her acting through the many different scenes she has with Dr. Krakauer and then with uh, the new ther the new priest at, in um, Amorfu, 
the way she has this continuing relationship with Tony where he's buying his buying her good graces but she is wondering how she can live outside of that it's just really good and Edie does such a powerful job in every moment she's in her crying at the museum at that photo at that painting is just incredible work she's always incredible remarkable I love Edie Falco she hasn't made any of my lists yet so I had to do her for this one yeah, I feel like we always exempt Tony from these lists because mm. obviously he would be everyone's number one because he's, he's the fulcrum. But um, I always feel like Edie is like the unspoken number two. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like she's always like, it, it would be the two of them. So in a way, I didn't put her on my honorable mentions list, but like, she, you know, it, it's obvious to me. I'm, I'm always into whatever's going on with Carmela. I think she's mm. wonderful. I can't put it any better than what you guys framed out for Carmela. I'll say briefly in my honorable mentions, uh... I chose um, Michael Imperioli for an honorable mention for Chris, particularly because even though Chris still has some goofy, funny moments, I think this season starts to center him in a slightly different way, where the character has evened out a bit. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, when Pine Barrens comes around, he's really just along for the ride. Polly's the one who fucks that up. Yeah. And uh, another moment that was close to making my moments list is at the end of Emorfu when Albert and Chris just cruelly and coldly execute Dino. It was like, dude, Christopher ain't floundering anymore. He's not like, oh, is this for me? He's a gangster. Yep. yep. This is, this is the, the, the... The days of D-Girl are long behind. Yeah. Well, see, that's really well said. So that's why I chose that for to recognize what Imperioli's doing. Um, and I chose the honorable mention for Jamie Lynn Siegler for Meadow because of what she does throughout the season, particularly in Army of One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Chris is interesting to me because he might be, in totality, my favorite character other than Tony in the whole show. If I had to pick had to pick one, gun on me. Michael Imperioli as Christopher might be the name that comes out of my mouth, most likely, right? But he hasn't made any of my lists either yet, and I'm wondering why that is. Right. I mean, I care about so many characters on this show, but like, I'm always like doing a welfare check with three characters in particular. It's always like, okay, what's going on with Tony? How's he doing? How's he going to deal with this? Carmella, how's she doing? What's going to happen next? And Christopher. Yeah. Those are the three for me, and that's not to discount Meadow or AJ in any way, but it's always those three. I always feel are like the ones where I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that's the family to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Christopher's been there since the beginning and we know that he's a surrogate son like one of the first sequences that happens is chris picking tony up so i think that him seeing to this mob kid is a big part of the show yeah Yeah. and this is the first season where chris is operating as you said as as a made guy and i think it's it's actually amazing to watch his arc from season one to now i wouldn't say he's had the most growth but he's had very obvious growth yeah and we see as we've said in the show many times so many young men fail and it's how old and mature and even kind of cool Christopher looks when you compare him to Jackie, when you compare him to Dino, when you compare him to, you know, whoever else, uh, other young men, Matt and Sean, fucking whatever, you know. It's funny. He has had a great journey. In season one, he basically is the young douchebag character. He makes it out by the skin of his neck and the graces of Livia and Junior Soprano. <laughs> But Brendan, you know, doesn't make it out a lot and doesn't make it Brendan out. Brendan right. Falone. Oh boy. Brendan Falone. And then season two, he's a mentor to the new douchebag characters. But 
still among them. He's like the leader. <laughs> right. He's like the he's he's the leader of the. He's the class. oldest kid at the kids' table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, and he falls prey to them, unfortunately. And then in season three, there's a maturity and a right. distance. He's just gotten to the adults' table. Yeah, 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 exactly. He'll stop by the kids' table to pick up some mac and cheese, and he's going back. <laughs> yeah, he'll check in at the Ufa Pizzeria, but then decide, you know what, I really can't be seen in a place like this anymore. <laughs> also, the subtle change in costuming, very nice. He dresses yeah. like an adult now. Yep. And when he was desperate, he included Jackie in his plans, but he does distance himself from Jackie. He sees it. He knows this pattern. And he's mature enough now to say, I'm not doing this sure. Matt Bevilacqua shit again. Yeah. Well, one of his great scenes is with Jackie at the Bing. Yeah. Where uh, he delineates, you know, what's the difference between a, a sit down and, and a, a, what's the other thing he says? A chat. A sit down and a chat. And then <laughs> Jackie gets so nervous by the appearance of Tony that he runs out the emergency door. And we're left looking like, Christopher seems very powerful in that moment. He's sitting at the bar. He wants to be left alone. Get the fuck away from me. You yeah. know, yep. are they really that different in age? No, probably five to seven years separates them. But there's a huge gap in maturity. Yeah, Chris by then is effectively running that club. Right. So we see that his power and responsibility has become greater. It's important. He he knows that the the ecstasy stuff is federal territory. Yeah, it's a it's a big arc. Mm-hmm. You know who had so, an arc? No. One. No. <laughs> <laughs> Noah Tenenbaum. He had an arc. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he sure did. We talked at length already about Ralph. He yeah, was my number three. We don't need to double down to too go. much. We on already did a lot of Ralph, but. Self-explanatory why he would be yeah, on. Great performance. Um, he was my number three. Was he on anyone else's? He was my number two. Your number two. My number two. No, I'm sorry. He was my number three. Your number two. Yep. So Jordan and I shared number three. He was on your number two, Paul. Great. And then we had, I believe, we talked about Carmelo was my number two. Who was your number two? So my, so our shared number two, you and mine, Chris, is Gloria, and it's Paul's number one. No, my number two was Carmelo. I think you and uh, you shared Gloria. Gloria's not on my list. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so Gloria's your number one, and Gloria's my number two. Yeah. Okay. So we got to talk about Melfi and Gloria then. Okay, uh, which first? Doesn't matter. Uh, let's say Gloria. Let's do Gloria. Yeah, let's do Gloria. I'll let you guys talk about her more because she's on your sure. list. This is Paul's number one, so yeah. let's, let's let Paul do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, you can lead this one, but I just want to say, as an act from an acting standpoint, you get the call from your agent. You're up for something on The Sopranos. Oh my God! There's immediate gravitas. There's immediate. Probably some nerves. Right. In the Number one show on TV, big yeah, deal, big, big deal. deal. Yeah. And it's a re- it's a regular thing. You're gonna be working with James Gandolfini. Oh, yeah. okay. And then you actually realize and have discussions about what the character is, and you realize whose shoes you're here to fill. Yeah. And Annabella Sciorra not only made it her own, but fucking rose to the occasion in a big way. So she deserves to be on this. I, she's not on my list just because. How can you? Because you're three? a fuck, Chris. How <laughs> could you? What the hell? How can you pick three? But I just wanted, for my piece on Gloria, and then I'm going to give it to Paul, what shoes to fill, just from an acting perspective, to come in and have to fill the Livia hole this season? Good God. Take it away. Well said. Uh, Gloria Trillo is part of this storyline that's so meaningful to me. It's one of my favorites on the show. This might be my favorite one-off character who comes in, does these guest spots. It's different for the show. Again, it filled this void, it seemed, with Livia being out because Nancy Marchand had died. The other thing is that the show has never been this sexy. When the closest that it comes... Sorry, D-Girl, just not the same. Um, <laughs> that's That storyline's too goofy anyway, to, to, to rise to this level, because this is sexy, and sexy than dangerous is also something we're dealing with in this season, um, just like sex and meat. So there's those dynamics where it's... The closest that the show has come to being this sexy is when Tony was dreaming of Melfi 
in season one. Yeah. So there's that. And then for it to switch, for it to slowly turn these gears and for the audience to be, as we've said on the podcast, a bit ahead of Tony, like, oh, this doesn't feel right. But Tony's still so in love seeing yeah, her through, the clouds. Yeah, through rose-colored glasses. I wanted to pose this question to you guys about Gloria. Yeah. Is part of why he didn't see this, in fact, because he met her in therapy and identifies her with Melfi? Actually. Oh, interesting. Mm, that that's he actually, a fascinating take. That he thinks of her as kind of straight and even as a woman mm. because he met her in this uh, scenario where she showed this class and dignity and uh, sexy legs and all that, and the other things that she has in common with Melfi. And, and anyway, all this comes together. The character turns out to be unstable. I do think she's dangerous. And yet the fact that I still felt for her, I felt bad for her and uh, was so troubled by the scene with her and Tony, and then, of course, her scene with Patsy, is a tribute to what Shiora did with the role, so that's why I chose it. I, I think Tony does mention at several points some of the things he appreciates about her. Obviously, Annabelle Shiora is a beautiful woman. Yes. Uh, so straight up, she's just a, a gorgeous to look at, and I think that is what catches his eye first. Paul, I don't disagree. I think meeting her in therapy was important to Tony because that is a space that is sort of uniquely his, and I think that... He, he has almost like a, a sense of like, she's independent of his worlds, mm. right? She doesn't come from his family home life. She doesn't come from his family family life. She's something new for him. And that's kind of cool. Mm. Uh, and I think there's an extent where, you know, he sees a little bit of himself in her, right? She's independent. She makes her own money. She takes care of herself. But like him, she's also really unstable <laughs> and really <laughs> dangerous. But she has no support system. We always forget this and... and we're, we're a little neglectful of it. I don't mean on this podcast. I mean, like, the, the viewer. Is that no matter how volatile Tony can be, and no matter how much his world gets out of whack, like, Tony has people that deeply love and care about him, even as much as he is cruel to others or violent towards others or is callous of others. Carmela really loves him. Tony's children really love him. He has really good friends that would die for him. Uh, you know, Gloria has none of those things. Yeah. Gloria is alone. And um, and Which, that that is the source of all of her hurt is that she doesn't have a family of her own. She's not made a family for herself. She doesn't seem to have good friends. She, we know for a fact she has terrible romantic relationships that she feels she is responsible for ruining. She might be the show's saddest character at this point. I, I mean, I I have rarely felt for anyone in, in the show as much as I felt for her. Yeah. We couldn't talk about it until it manifested itself, but her task this season is suicide by gangster there's no other way to word it yeah she sees this and as melfi describes it so articulately in therapy there are certain people drawn to danger like a moth to a flame looking for an inevitable result that's it she sees this guy there's yes tony has his charms and there's a sexiness and alpha male quality but there was no illusion about who this guy was and that was exactly what she was going for it's just it's sad it's deeply sad. It's darkly. It's very upsetting. Well, so uh, she, and there's every illusion about who she is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, well done to convey all of that in the way that she did, and also to be simultaneously pitiful and dangerous is is a good is an interesting thing to watch. It's an interesting thing to absorb and uh, to go from sobbing uncontrollably on the telephone to get Tony to come over versus the Gloria we saw on the car ride with Carmela screeching down the icy New Jersey sure. landscape. Yes, one of the best moments in the show, yes. <laughs> so good. So good. 
So yeah, that's and that's then also story. playing the sexiness, like the the reptile house scene, or oh, just yeah. like any time with them in bed, very sexy, really. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, legitimately. I don't know. This is like such like guy stuff here, but like I don't know her like on her knees in front of him, smiling. Oh, sure. while she grabs the gun. It's like, ooh, this is dangerous. Oh yeah, no, she's she's beautiful. She's meant to entice. You know, it, it it's great. I mean, I get it. And then we have Doctor Melfi, which was my number one. Pick. Also my number one. Yeah. yeah. What can you really say at? Uh, about her she could be on the top another character that could be on every top three she frequently makes our top list i mean it's 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 hard Um, but this one this is her season to me as far as standout performances we really we know who this woman is in the way she interacts with tony in the first two seasons but we see what we know put to the strongest test in this season with what she goes through an employee of the month and how she responds to it. And she gives Melfi this strained vulnerability, and yet that she maintains her poise and morals and dignity and makes the choice that a Tony Soprano never could. Yeah. And shows restraint. And not only restraint, but keeps up with the mission. The next when she makes that decision, it's done. There's no second guessing. There's no hemming and hawing. She gets back to the task of treating her patient. Yeah. Fucking just so good. Just so good. And Lorraine Bracco is, is a queen and, and a half. Yeah, just to talk about the actor for a second. I, you know, we're, we've all been performers in our time. Chris is a professional actor, of course. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a harder ask of an actor than you're performing a, a rape scene. You are going to be raped in this scene. Mm. And not only are you going to be raped in the scene, it's going to be the most realistic depiction of rape, like, ever on television, Mm. to the point where it's, like, nauseating for the viewer, where it's difficult for us to even talk about it. Um, That's amazing work. It's a really good scene. She does it really well. Um, It's depicted well. And Lily had really good insights on this in our episode uh, on Employee of the Month, but um, it made it important. Like, they really made this something that we were all forced to reckon with. It really made you check in with when these things happen, you know. Um, and otherwise, Chris, I can't really do better for the character. I think, you know, it it makes us respect her so much and, and feel for her so much. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, I think the the season would have been fairly distinctive for her even if Employee of the Month hadn't happened. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, because <laughs> I think for a very simple reason, which is that at the end of season two... She came clean with Tony in this respect that she had been afraid of him. And then, I think in particular after his mother died, she pushed him more. Mm-hmm. And they found more. Hence these really interesting scenes like Unfortunate Son teasing out what happened and what it means. And wh- how this is affecting your life now. Bringing Carmela in. Uh, the scene where she has the one scene that's only with Carmela. Um, scenes with Elliot discussing what happened with the rape, of course. Yes. And this and the episode itself, employee of the month, um, puts it at another level. As always, you as you guys put it, she hits every mark. She's great. So I can't say much more. And yet, employee of the month was definitely important in what it depicted and how much more respect or the elevation of that respect for the character and her dignity and her poise than I had before. So. All agreed. I want to use that as a segue into our next discussion topic before we go to our next top three in, in, in a, just a minute here. I always like to do this in our retrospective 
because we just had a great conversation about Melfi's emotional and character journey in this episode. Yeah. But let's touch down on the therapy itself. Tony's journey as a patient, Melfi's journey as a doctor, and how we think the therapy itself is going at this now halfway point in the series. Because, we, you know, it's it's been a hell of a journey for them up to this point. How do we think it's going? Is this a successful therapy experience? Are we getting somewhere with Tony? Carmella doesn't seem to think so. No. And honestly, the way he talks, reacts anytime therapy comes up for other people, I think that Tony still holds a deep underlying cynicism about the process. For sure. Yet, Melfi does step it up when asked to do so. And yes, she had to get over her hurdle after the events of season one and season two of being afraid of him. But now the work is really getting in and she kind of, she takes that initiative with the episode Fortunate Son and going back to the meat and really tackling a root, a potential root cause of the panic attacks. And I don't have anxiety attacks, but I have some other issues that I was recently dealing with in therapy that my therapist talked me through some root causes, some initial things that sparked issues that I deal with. And th- that understanding does actually help in dealing with present issues. If you mm. understand where something comes from, you are easily able to identify triggers. And having just gone through something similar in therapy because of this, it's like, wow, she's doing a great job here. Is it all for naught? How are we feeling about this? In many ways, I actually thought this was one of the more successful times in the show for therapy. Yeah. I thought I thought the therapy sessions went well. Uh, she kind of got her spark back uh, in terms of getting Tony on a track. Yeah, Carmela is dissatisfied with maybe the fact that Tony is still having panic attacks, but more importantly, Melfi got her there. Yeah. Like, And now Melfi has a better idea of what this marriage is and the things that might be preying upon Tony and affecting Tony. And ultimately, Melfi seems to be able to guide Tony to open up a bit more this season. There are fewer shutdowns this season yeah. than there have been previously. He's been talking more. Well, in season two's thing was the therapy went nowhere. Every right, episode, right, right. they stonewalled, they flatlined, and Tony, they just both left flustered and flummoxed. Sure. And also, again, thematically, this is a season about Tony as a father. He is able to talk about his children more easily than he's able to talk about himself. Yeah. Um. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of... um. A lot of conversation being had there about uh, him being uncertain about what to do with Meadow, what to do with AJ. And and he does bring up a lot of things he is distressed about authentically in therapy, even if he has to disguise, like, Tracy's death as a work accident or something like that. Like, he he is opening up as best he can. It's a pretty successful season for, for therapy, yeah. Yeah, it's certainly more successful than last season. And last season they were both kind of decompensating. Yeah. So now I think the one step forward, two steps back thing is mostly about Tony. Whatever he can share, whatever he's willing to share, whatever he's willing to admit to himself. Like, Amor Fu, for example, has them digging in on some serious stuff and probably doing some good work, but also part of what they're exploring is Tony's self-sabotage sure um uh, uh, carmella excuse me melfi has a frankness in that scene uh, anthony you'll never leave your wife (laughs) which i always like she may leave you (laughs) yeah exactly uh some people didn't like it but uh, i've been in therapy for a little while and you do you do develop a shorthand yeah and people do understand each other a certain amount of transference always happens transference is not a bad word 
so I think yeah I, th- I I think I'd agree that there there's you know it's complicated but something is happening here but I guess also the question of how therapy's going does bring up for me what does this all mean and where is it going because it doesn't seem like a leap it's an ethical breach it's an ethical question that you might not might muddy the waters but if Tony really wants to get better psychologically maybe he shouldn't fucking do this for a living Right, right. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's it. Right. That's it. But Melfi's not just going to come out and say that. That's not part of her judgmental, that's part. That's not part of her non-judgmental format. So we're getting somewhere. Where are we going? Right. Yeah. And in therapy, they are really, uh, he's able to nicely deconstruct with Melfi what's going on with Gloria and that relationship, yeah. both before and after it fizzles. I do want to mention, because we've been complimentary of the therapy and generally positive in its direction this season, they seem to be not only back on track, but actually maybe getting somewhere. If the show just stopped here and they canceled it, I would think in my head, you know what, there's a chance if that show kept going, maybe Tony's going to get better. You know? Right. So we'll see where that goes. I do want to point out, though, a tactical flaw that, uh, or a, a byproduct of what's going on here, and I can't... Get into it fully at this point in time. I think there will be a moment later in the series that this discussion can be more realized. But we mentioned in our episode when it came up, and I'm forgetting exactly which episode it was, but people who are familiar with the show and watched it will remember this. In season two, Melfi tells Tony when they resume their therapy, you want to be a better gang leader, read The Art of War by Sun Tzu, implying that that's that's not what she's aiming to do in therapy. And at some point in the season, Tony comes back, he's read it. She gave him that advice. Yeah. And he read Art of War by Sun Tzu and quotes it back at her. So I just want to throw that out there, that there may be some unintended blowback by treating a gangster. And that may be something that is an issue with this therapy that we should keep an eye on. So, something to keep in mind. Moving along here, one last thing I wanted to talk about is the gangster guys. And I want to throw these names out and just talk, touch down on them briefly. Because they're supporting characters and there's things to be said about them. But let's talk about Pauly, Silvio, and Big Pussy. I love what they did with Big Pussy. How he's dead, but he's not going away. You know what I mean? He is haunting the show, literally. We saw his ghost in Proshailovushka. He's... It's not something that Tony is just able to tuck away and compartmentalize. It's there. He's he's physically there yeah. in some way. And I love that they did that. Oh, who do you want to start with of the three? Let's start with Pussy. Sure. Uh, That's what I in To with. Save Us All from <laughs> Satan's Power, I believe, is our Christmas episode. Yeah. Meadow gifts her father with a big mouth billy bass. Yeah. Right? And uh, in many ways, he's still confronting his feelings about his old friend. Um it's a great scene. It's a great moment. Um, I was even considering it for like a, a great moments, you know, a section. Um, yeah, I love that when a character dies on this show, they don't really go away because that is very lifelike. Yeah. Right. That is. Um, it, it honors that character and it, it just like it, it perpetuates the legacy of that character in a really cool way. I agree. I think, and it's um, it's fun. When he comes back, I think there is sentiment around it, but the show is not sentimental. Of course, instead of like, I think, it, you know, it's got a bit, we, we mentioned this when we recorded, that on To Save Us All From Satan's Power, there's a, you know, a, clearly a ghost of Christmas past kind of vibe. Yeah. But instead of showing you what used to be your innocence 
it's like showing you that pussy was guilty all along right and right even in the flashback segment yeah Yeah, right so it's like kind of it's brutal in that way um but then of course the wonderful irony that in the, those flashbacks also show you how great Big Pussy was as Santa. And then <laughs> it dissolves back into the current day with Bobby as a failed Santa. Yeah. Uh, so I just love that vibe. I I agree. And I also love that brief shot in uh, Pro Shai Labouche. It's great. I love it. In the hallway. It's just right. Yeah. Yeah. Silvio, touch on him quickly. He is Tony's stalwart, his consigliere, his advisor, his level-headed guy. Silvio hold steady this season in that regard. But what stands out to me about Silvio in this season, the takeaway for me when I think of Silvio in season three is the other side. We, we saw the other side of him that has been hidden from us and is the pimp, hidden, the, pimp, the, pimp. the brutal pimp yeah. who snatched Tracy out of the Ralph's apartment or condo or whatever and dragged her out to the car, beat her up, threatened her and owned her for the, $3,000 in orthodentures that she has, you know. Yeah. So, Silvio, season three, any thoughts you guys want to get out? That, that's my takeaway of Silvio. Is we, we, he, yes, he's, he, maintain, he remains one of Tony's most stable and loyal guys, but we saw a little bit something different here. Uh, yes, well, he remains that stable guy, and that darkness that you mentioned about university plays in contrast to what so often is done with Silvio, which is that he's played for laughs. Yeah. Yeah. He's, and he's still a funny character. Mm-hmm. Still got those bits, but those moments in university are unforgettable. Yeah. yeah. And finally, Paulie. Can't forget about old Winghead here. He <laughs> he's Paulie. Nothing's nothing's. This is one of those guys that he personally, as far as his personality and his view on life, not likely to change anytime soon. But he has an interesting situation going on within the family now. And he's not doing too well with Ralphie's rise and Ralphie's success. Paulie's been around a long time. He goes back to Tony's dad, that era. And here comes along Ralphie. And Paulie is having his struggles with Christopher on one hand. And also, now Ralphie is a top earner. And he's making overtures to the New York family. That's a problem. Pauly is very low rent this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pauly has has low status this season, um, and it's interesting to see that character in a lower status position. Not that he's ever been particularly high status, but he was higher formerly. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly before Ralphie came along, before Christopher started fucking up all this stuff. Um, I love the way it's played, and I think it's really interesting because you get to see that. Um, I enjoy when Pauly is using his low cunning, mm-hmm. right, to try to like see where he can uh maybe advance himself a bit he really falls to pieces after um you know the the decision goes against him uh for for ralph and the codes for the safes and all that stuff and uh it it never really improves he just continues to find ways to feel insulted yeah uh you know paulie's a piece of shit he's he's a he's a huge fucking asshole yeah um (laughs) tony sirico is so brilliant in portraying the, the the weird intricate aspects of this character scene where he sniffs Adriana's panties um yeah he's a strange guy he's very strange um the the bit remember at the beginning I mean so many funny things happen as Pine Barrens goes on particularly with how undignified it is what the gangsters have to do and it starts with him being primped like these He's getting like a manny. I'll go with the satin finish. The satin finish—it's so funny. Um, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's great. And the and I the, lost and, my shoe. 
And his shining moment has to be Pine Barrens this season. I mean. Oh yeah, it's gotta sure. be. I mean, he's got the he has me on the floor. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and I do think as funny as a lot of those things are, it's got to be clear at the end of the season that this is not good, right? Whatever else that could uh, be the import of this little short two minute scene with Johnny Sack outside Vesuvio, not good. Yeah. Yep, not good for anybody. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for our next top three. Top, top three. There we go. That was ugly. Great. <laughs> All right. We're back on back track. Back to basics. <laughs> We're going to do moments. Top three moments. This is right up there with quotes for one of the hardest categories. P- to pick three moments out of the season. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? But, yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? Jordan? Start us off. So my number three uh, comes from Second Opinion. It's really the entire scene, but it is specifically Dr. Krakauer with Carmella. uh, Specifically when he says the line to her, you can't say you've never been told. What Jordan just said is my honorable mention. Mm -hmm. Uh, Particularly that, the scene, but particularly that tag. I think that's the end of the scene. Uh, uh, That's the end of the scene. Yeah. Number three moment. Pro Shiley Mushka. Tony tells off Noah and then passes out. <laughs> um, this scene, some people like it. Some people really were not happy when this happened. I think I get why, but also I do think it's funny. I think it's gutsy, and I think making fun of Tony's parochialism and how he's effectively a yuppie, I think also points to something in where the show will go moving forward and how they will be uh, how they'll have fun with the characters and be very inventive and even ambitious in their depiction of them going on. I still think it's a funny scene watching it all these years later, so that's why I chose it. Great. My number three is Patsy Parisi with Gloria Trillo in a Morfu visiting her in the car. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's, a, that's my number two. Yep. Ooh. Which is very funny mm-hmm. that that's your number two. Uh, we'll talk about it in a second, but go, go on. So your number two is the that exact moment. The it's nipples the, that the moment with seats. this quote. If you talk to or go anywhere near him or his family, they'll be scraping your nipples off these fine leather seats. And here's the point to remember. My face will be the last one you see. Not Tony's. It won't be cinematic. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Great line. Wow. Yep. Your number two, Paul? No. That's mm-hmm. my number two. Mm-hmm. Melfi so at the end of uh, Employee of the Month. Well, I think this speaks to the power of the moments. We all have a lot of crossover here. My number two is Dr. Krakauer. One thing you can never say mm-hmm. if you haven't been told. My number one that I feel might get repeated, uh, it's a Morfu. It's the final fight between Gloria and mm-hmm. Tony. I didn't just meet you. I've known you my whole fucking life. Mm. Yep. That's my number one. Poor you and Morfu. Yeah. My number one is... No, end of employee of the month. Yeah, so there we go. This. We, so, just, well, we just traded all. <laughs> no, that so so yeah. These are all so boring. These <laughs> well, but it speaks to the power of these moments that they really these are you know these are obviously very big and these are moments. all acted with the top standard of acting professionalism. It's some of the best acting I've ever seen ever in movies or television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pain in James Gandolfini's face. I didn't just meet you. I've known him my whole fucking life. Yeah. I can't even... I'm going to start crying if I try to emulate his voice in that yeah, moment. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And the realization on his face, the look the look like he's glimpsed the unthinkable. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's with, with a level of Greek tragedy almost. Yes. Like realizing oh, you're my mother. Yeah, it's yep. mythological. It's, it's And then he almost kills her. It's, uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> when he's choking her and she's just saying, kill me, kill me, <laughs> spits in his face. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What a cra- crazy good scene. Brutal. Unforgettable. Unforgettable. The actor who plays Dr. Krakauer yeah. is this mm. guy named Sully Boyer. He died after they filmed it. Before it was aired, I don't oh, think he ever no. saw the episode. Sorry to hear that. Which is kind of stunning because it's a really clearly a memorable moment. Yeah. He was in uh, Dog Day Afternoon, one of my favorite movies years oh, ago. Great he, movie. He played the bank president. He was yeah. more heavy. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was him. I mm. wish the fuck you never came in this bank. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so part. So also, yeah. For I think it's such an interesting moment, and it's so interesting that it's a hugely impactful moment. As Jordan was saying, like the other ones. With such good acting, in that case, some of it coming from a guy that we have not seen before, that we never see again. It's a one-off, that scene. Yeah. yeah. And he's so blunt. Oh, and he he's almost, not quite, but almost hard to understand. Like, the way he speaks, he's just so quiet and clinical and older. But that's what makes it so good. There's just zero bullshit to it. Zero him. bullshit. In a show that's about liars. Correct. And people that lie. It's like a shining beacon of truth that comes through. Well, that and you want to talk... Be, that might be it. That might be why it... Yes. Yeah. And you want... Exactly. It's it's a mo- rare moment of ray of truth. And you want to talk about things that stand out in this world. Sure. It even caused... It stood out so much in this universe that it caused Carmela to stay for the rest of yep. the hour. I won't take your money. Who in this show says that sentence? Yeah. Sure. Please. He's the antithesis of, of everyone on this show. Mm. Yeah. And it's great because he's a doctor and he writes out, may perhaps, the only prescription that might help Tony, which is if he were to, you know, sit in his jail cell, read Crime and Punishment every day for, you know, 13 years, then he might be redeemed. But <laughs> he's not going to reflect. He's not going to be Which punished. is what Leota's character in Many Saints of Newark is doing. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, great moment, and it's it's great for the reasons we just illustrated. I love I love this moment. Yeah, and employee of the month, we've been over that. We talked about Melfi course, and, course, and, and yeah. that moment and what it means. So we don't need to do another deep dive on that. But but little, the power little, of little, that last moment. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And and the fact that all of it is in her eyes. Her face doesn't move for that last shot, but you see in her fucking eyeballs. Mm. Am I gonna do it? Am I gonna do it? I'm not gonna do it. No. The words gets out, and she's committed. It's, it's, it's poetry. It's, it's, what, it's, it's, what, it's why you watch drama for moments yeah. like that. Mm. Get up for Patsy Parisi, everybody. Yeah! Patsy Parisi. Patsy. <laughs> that fucking scene is stone cold from a guy that's like one of the nice guys on the show. Like yeah, the yeah. guy you don't send. Like, that's perfect. From the guy that we felt bad for at the beginning of the right, season. Right. And he had a funny scene where he pissed in Tony's right. pool. He's and, almost right. buffoonish. Yeah. He... he, he, he Tony has to kick him out at the end of season two with the coat, and Patsy brings the fur coat, and he's peeing in the pool, and he's crying, and it's it's a like, right. you know he's he's hilarious, and he's the least like a movie star gangster. This is right. the guy you send to deliver that. Oh you yeah, know. he's no. Knock you want on, a beautiful death? That's gonna be me. It's not yeah, gonna be no Tony. knock on Dan Grimaldi, but like that's not a glamorous looking man. Right. <laughs> nor, nor would he claim to be. So right. He would not take that as an insult. Right. He exactly. Knows, he plays that character very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in that sense, he's actually 
quite believable as a North Jersey is, wise guy. I was going to say, on site, and just any scene with him, you're like, yeah, I would believe this man in real life as a guy that worked for the mob in real life. Yeah. yeah. You and look I mean, at actual mob mugshots of modern-day gangsters. They're not pretty guys. You know what I mean? We all clearly agree that poor you, I didn't just meet you, I've known you my whole life, is this hugely important moment. Huge. But also that in choosing this moment where Patsy comes in, it highlights something else that's important that... Tony like had to do that, right? Because yeah. any any attempt to deliver this message himself would have just given Gloria Another. too much of what she wanted. Yeah, right. right. He's given her too much ammunition already. When he gets what it is he needs to do, it's a brilliant solution. I hate to say it because it's so cruel and it's terrible, and the things he's saying are very calloused and gangstery, and he delivers it perfectly. But this. This is this the way out of it for Tony, other than killing her or accepting responsibility for it. So, yeah, hell of a moment, hell of a scene. Uh, it's oh, one yeah. of, it remains one of my favorites. So, mm-hmm. good. Here's something we're gonna do different this retrospective. I want to dip a little bit into some listener messages that we've gotten. <laughs> oh boy, this is. <laughs> I'm sure they're all very nice. Yeah, yeah, they they are. <laughs> Fuck yourselves. No. Yeah, we have basically. Get, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we we're at the point now. We have developed a loyal, wonderful audience that we're incredibly grateful for. To all of you who are still with us at this point, thank you so much. Thank you for the positive reviews on iTunes and and whatever. We have way more. I mean, I I'm humbled by the the number of of listeners we have. Thank you all for listening so much. I really, I mean that so authentically. Thank you. Jordan, you said on your personal Facebook that I won't give out the information to. Thank that, you, I appreciate that. <laughs> that. That more people have listened to you talk about Gabagool yes. than maybe anything yes. else. <laughs> more people have talked, heard me talk. I, yeah, famously, yes. And this is yes. an articulate, amazing teacher, human oh, being, go on. writer, storyteller. You know, so I am thrilled that we're all still doing this. But... I'm thrilled to be talking about Gabagool uh, once again. Oh, this from a slice of gabagool. <laughs> I'm not doing these in any particular order. Uh, I just picked out a handful of them here, but we have this from Sarah in Australia. This is a little bit while back. This was late 2021. We got this. Hello, my partner and I are just at the end of season one. We're listening to your podcast with every episode, and we absolutely love it. We do Sopranos night every Sunday. It's the highlight of our week helping us get through lockdown in Australia. I wanted to mention that. They did ask, she did ask here if we're, we were coming back because we were on a little bit of a hiatus at that point. So she was like, are new episodes coming? Because I noticed there haven't been any new ones for a little bit. I responded and let her know that there were. But thanks so much for the podcast. So Sarah, on behalf of the yeah, three of Sarah, us. Yeah, Sarah, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Listen, I'm not going to comment on the political aspect of COVID and the lockdowns. And also, honestly, as an American... I think too many Americans on either side of the aisle are running their mouth about the situation in Australia, and it's not their, their their business to do so. But I will say that wherever you are in the world, if you're dealing with this these lockdowns and these, this awful COVID business is just depressing and terrible for everybody. So, Sarah, I, I'm so happy that our show has been able to be a, a light for you in yeah. in these times. It, it's, it's been a light for us as well. Absolutely. We hope you're safe. We hope you're healthy and that you're hopefully still listening. Yeah, Definitely. please. Thank and, you, Sarah. And Sarah, you're not alone. As I understand it, the lockdown around COVID was a time frame in which a lot of people revisited a lot of TV shows and it's given yeah. The Sopranos 
kind of the second life among younger millennials. There is yeah, a revival. There was, there was yeah. a New York Times article about this, wasn't there? That yeah, like millennials are rediscovering are discovering sure. The Sopranos for the first time. The numbers were coming in from HBO Max, and they're like, one of our most watched shows is not new content; it's The Sopranos again. Mm. So thank you, Sarah. Good luck. Stay healthy, and we appreciate the the email. This next one is <laughs> I have to mention a few things about the name and the subject line before we get to the content of the email. The name on the subject line is Alapan, but it's signed at the bottom with Alan. So I don't know what that's about. I never heard of the name Alapan, but okay, you know Alapan. And the subject of the email is Grump Fest. Yes, that that's yeah. This was sent in after our. Feel bad ending episode, Pro Shilovushka. Of course, yeah. This is my fault. All right. <laughs> well, Go you're gonna, I'm gonna let you get first response then. Okay. When we get thank through you. This. Yep. Hi guys, I am an English fellow living in the Netherlands who has been following your podcast for a while now. Thus far, I have found it nicely stimulating, and you are kind of good company, which is the crucial aspect <laughs> <laughs> when sticking with a podcast. So it has prompted me to suddenly get in touch. Well, this week, I gotta say, for once, you are very much not good company. Oh, man. <laughs> the constant whining about this episode's content became very dreary, repetitive, and kind of childishly petulant. This episode is pivotal. And shallow and pedantic. <laughs> this episode is pivotal. Basically, the series could have ended there, because Tony's dysfunctional relationship with his mother is the show. Chase uses the series to replay his relationship with his own mother. Naturally, he wrote this episode, and one can assume that he worked especially hard on it. That is why it is particularly fascinating, rich in tone, and so emotionally charged. To avoid it or grumble about its lack of shenanigans is sidestepping the deep melancholy inherent in the motor behind the creation of the show. Everyone in the series is sad, unfulfilled, and lacking the love they desire. Mm. The fact that we are also especially invested in this show means that we must recognize this and ask ourselves why. I got the impression this episode was maybe too close to home, that you collectively colluded in avoiding the real reason the show intrigues you so much. <laughs> the shenanigans are merely connecting tissue, let's face it. Am I being too harsh? Yours, Alan, and I won't give his last name. By the way, referring to Noah, the people, fictional characters that annoy us and appall us the most are often the ones holding a mirror up to something we do not like about ourselves. Woof, <laughs> that's loaded. That's wow. a loaded email. Alan, so first of all, let me say <laughs> thank you for listening. Yes. And even if you are maybe having a tough time with one of our episodes, we still count that as awesome engagement. So thank you so much yes. for listening. Um, I will take the hit on this one. I have listened back to that episode since receiving this message. I am certainly the biggest whiner. I'm also the person that likes that episode the least. In fact, I don't really like Prussia Lubushka. I think it's a wonderful episode of television that I don't want to watch again. But I'm not going to start complaining about it because that is what you are, in fact, complaining about. Uh, I think your complaints are totally valid. It's a really dreary, repetitive episode, and especially me, I, I keep saying the same thing over and over again in that episode. So, Alan, good catch. Absolutely. I don't think we gave that episode maybe as fair a shake as we should have, particularly me. I don't think I gave that episode as fair a shake as I ought to have, and I think you're right. I think in a show that was structured with Tony versus Livia, it could have just ended, and it's brave that it went on, and it's done amazing stuff since, and that episode doesn't get enough credit for being the source of that. However, I resent any comparison to Noah Tenenbaum, and yes. uh, I will not accept that. That, that, we re that we reject flatly. That we reject flatly. And you can keep that sentiment in the Netherlands. We don't want it. That's right. 
But listen, you know what? Yes. Uh, is Noah a pretentious you know, film analyst? Yes. Are we pretentious television analysts? Sure. Okay, we'll give it to you a little bit. But you know what? More than anything, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, yes, that's that's the core point. Whether you like us, don't like us, agree with us, don't agree with us, thank you, Alan, for, for tuning in with us. And enjoy the fact that your royal overlords are a frail old woman and a tiny baby. <laughs> wow. Shots fired! Damn. Shots fired, Alan, in a friendly way. Thank you for listening. Yes, Alan, thank <laughs> you for listening, and I'll just briefly say, I actually I do think that the stuff that we talked about with Pro Shailavushka, the feel-bad ending... I definitely communed with, but I, I've always had a pretty big soft spot for that episode, both because of some of the fearless stuff they do in the depiction of Livia's death and the opening sequence with Noah. So. Very true. And I won't get into it because I actually gave Alan a pretty lengthy response when he emailed us, but I did just mention to him briefly that it was, I thanked him for listening and because we do appreciate every one of you, whether you like what we say or not. I mentioned that we were referring more to just not the fact that it was a bad episode, but the tone was unpleasant. It's not one that you just want to no, live in. No, stop. He's going to get mad at us but again because we're, we're complaining about it again. We're not, we're not, we, can't, not, we can't let this become another Prussia Labushka <laughs> episode. We did it already. <laughs> so I but, I will, but the reason I mentioned it was because he did give me one last response because it is another point that he made here. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. He, he said, hey, thank you for responding. Fear not. I'm planning to stick with you right through to the end. Meanwhile, feel free to use my input in a future episode. It would be an honor. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Alan. Now it's my turn to grumble. He hasn't grumbled enough. All right. Two weeks between episodes. Come on, chaps. (laughs) Oh, boy. Actually, you know, that's, uh, we talked about that when we first set up this podcast where it's just like, because that's the, that's the thing. Do you go weekly? Do you go every other week? Uh, Which is the schedule for a lot of podcasts, by the way. Or do you do it basically whenever you have time? I actually loyally follow three or four podcasts that just release episodes sort of whenever, which is a little frustrating. Yeah. Um, bi-weekly is because, Alan, it's just we we got busy. Uh, you know, this was a, a project that started for us in the pandemic as something to really engage with a piece of art that we felt strongly about. And um, we were initially able to really record a lot, and then life kind of came roaring back kind of irregularly at first and then more persistently and we just felt the easiest way that we could get content out to you folks reliably was every other week because if we promised you every week it wasn't going to happen that's exactly jordan nailed that thank you jordan for saying that this is i've described it before as the little podcast that could in that look this is all of this is at least uh, maybe not jordan but this is my first time ever doing a podcast i think it's paul's as well absolutely so, so this is i've done lots he, he has jordan has more <laughs> podcasting experience but look we it's not only that it's that we started out with nothing no budget this is just us wanting to talk and see what we could do we now we've turns out we've gained a decent following but consistency is more important to me than trying to do something I'm not able to do. And because this is a podcast that we started from scratch, it's not something I could do full-time or professionally. And we do it all ourselves. I edit every episode myself, all of the sound work. So, and we also have conflicting schedules. I'm an artist. I have a, a, an eclectic schedule. Paul does his thing with his own work schedule and, and Jordan's a teacher. So to make it work, I would rather do one episode every two weeks then then make once a week 
work, which I could do some weeks and then other weeks. I'd rather have a consistent every two weeks than an inconsistent weekly, if that makes sense. Well, so it sure does. You hit the nail on the head. We're going to do another one here. This one is very long. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Okay. Excerpts. But uh, this one is from Brent. Brent. Chris, Paul, and Jordan, my name is Brent, and I live in Boston. Hey, your hometown, Paul. All there right. you go. I just started rewatching The Sopranos for the third time. To complement the viewing, I wanted to find a podcast that analyzed each episode. After considering several podcasts, I settled on yours because it's much more thoughtful and deep than all the others. Thank you, Brent. Thanks, Brent. Uh, thank you for that. Listening to you all discuss each episode is like being in a college course. I mean that as a compliment and a real enhancement to the experience. He's referencing uh, now in this next paragraph that he listens to our discussion in the episode where we covered college, the season one episode oh, of yeah. college. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there was something interesting he felt compelled to email about. He says, during your discussion, there were two mentions of the strangely large gun that Fred is carrying around. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yep, we sure. comment on how it was I, 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 I remember that. Yep. It reminded me... Of like the 89 Batman when Joker just pulls that ridiculous gun out of his pants. Right. But anyway, he has some insight on this. I grew up target shooting, and I'm actually familiar with the gun Fred was holding. He's using a Ruger Mark IV with a 10-inch barrel. Uh, what's interesting about this gun? It's a 22 caliber gun that is used almost exclusively for shooting targets and is widely considered a gun for kids to learn with. Huh. The extra-long barrel provides stability and accuracy... The bullet itself is very small, and the velocity of the round is low. This is a gun that is not suited to killing. In fact, when not at close range, 22 caliber bullets have been known to ricochet off an individual's thick skull or even be stopped by heavy or thick clothing. Don't get me wrong, it certainly can kill a person, but that said, I seriously doubt any gangster would select such a weapon for anything. As you all have noted throughout your podcast, this is a show that does not overlook details, and this strange-looking gun was noticed. So the re- what's the reason that Fred is using such a weapon? It's almost as if Fred was never much of a gangster, or perhaps Fred lost that part of him permanently. When Tony comes back into his life, he grabs himself a cartoonish child's gun and tries to shoot Tony, but can't. He tries to compel someone else to kill Tony, and can't. And ultimately, the large and lumbering Tony is able to sneak up and put a wire around his neck while in a dead, quiet Maine woods, and when Fred is on high alert looking for an intruder. Fred is looking to be an, incomp- Fred is looking to be an incompetent gangster. It's almost unfair that Tony is targeting this soft has-been. Anyway, thought that was worth sharing. Thanks for the outstanding podcast. Looking forward to the rest. Brent, you're hired. Brent, <laughs> Brent, Brent you're the new fourth host. Let me tell yeah, you man. something. You come out to Jersey, Brent. I'm dead serious. You come out to Jersey, we'll put you on this once, because that is the kind of... De- you, you seem like a very smart guy. That's a very detailed breakdown. Yeah, that was eloquent, and I, I agree with his interpretation, actually. I never even... Now, now having that knowledge about the gun, that sounds totally right. Brent, that was uh, that was wicked good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you and Paul can talk about all the, uh, you know, dumb shit you can do up there in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. No offense, we love our Boston. We love going to the woods, friggin' like, <laughs> do target practice with this Ruger. I want everyone to know that I talk a lot of shit about Boston, and I didn't mean to sound denigrating there. My wife is from the Massachusetts, Worcester, Boston area, so <laughs> I don't have any actual grudge against Boston people. But well, we're going to talk shit because I'm a New Yorker by blood. That's oh. right. <laughs> Lastly here... Well, wow, we have a lot of those. We do, I'm telling you, dude, we have uh, we have fans. Okay. All right, Brian from another Massachusetts. Brian from Massachusetts writes in response to our Employee of the Month episode. 
Hello. Hi, hi, Brian. <laughs> First of all, an excellent episode with a lot of fantastic insight, as always. A couple things I was talking about with Lily, my wife, and we'll explain how this guy knows the show in a moment, about that are still etched into my brain. If Dr. Melfi did notify Tony that she would be seeking revenge, not justice, that's an important distinction that he felt compelled to make there. Yeah, okay. This is also an interesting window into how a blight like the mafia organized crime gets itself embedded in culture. Hmm. Why do people who why who do people go to when justice isn't achieved? It's easy to go down the slippery slope of saying this guy got away with it and the only way to stop it is by going to the mob who will get you revenge. But at what cost? Yeah. Good point, Brian. Thank you for emailing the show. That's actually my brother-in-law. Brian's my brother-in-law. Oh, there we go. Hey, Brian. <laughs> it's Lily's uh, brother. Oh, I love that. And he he does help our pod. He's, he's a big fan and supporter of the podcast. Always retweets us. But he also helps me out a little bit on the technical end of it. So thank you for that email, Brian. I'm yeah. glad I was able to read that for you. Just uh, making a point and a distinction there. I'm, I have nothing to add to it. Thank I, you for I, I think I do, actually. Please. Uh, Brian, uh, you know, what you just mentioned really reminds me of this. I read um, Trevor Noah's autobiography which is called uh born a crime stories from a south african childhood it's got a particularly good segment about how a certain level of crime is sort of allowed to exist in south africa particularly um during the fall of the apartheid era and the way trevor noah phrases this is it's because crime cares right um when the government is failing to provide food services when the police uh refuse to help you to seek justice for something that has been done that is wrong to you um when you feel like you have no one to turn to you can always turn to crime right mm -hmm. and the sopranos does this so well multiple times uh you know throughout the series so far even where we see people in desperate situations and their desperation is avenged by the mob and we feel really vindicated when that happens. And I think you're right. I think that is so much so how they become a part of a community is because they do the services that no one else will and they care when others may not. Uh, so a couple things. One is that unlike Boca, I think I mentioned this when we recorded on Employee of the Month, unlike Boca where, in which the gangsters are aware that a violation has taken place, here they're never aware because Melfi never mentions it. Right. So instead, we see what the gangsters actually do day to day, which is not help anybody except themselves. Um, they don't help the community. They bleed the community, and they take what they want, uh, typically by force. So there's that. I think also, you know, people get it. They understand the lore of revenge. You guys seen Sweeney Todd? I yeah. mean, come on. Uh, rest in peace, Sondheim. And it makes it, I think, even more admirable, frankly, that Melfi understands, among many things, what the um, what the allure is of telling Tony, what the the attraction to revenge is, and for her to still say no, for her to still refuse, um, again, just skyrocketed my respect and affection for her. For sure. Yeah. Well said, guys. I'm going to conclude the listener mail segment for now, but I want to bring this back. I had a lot of fun doing yeah. this with you guys. And we like engaging with our audience. So if you want your emails or letters or messages read on our next retrospective, email us at thesopranospodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of our social media pages. That's The Sopranos Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Sopranos Podcast on Twitter. No, the. And please hit us up. Let us let us know what you think about anything. We will read it if it's interesting. And we you know, So 
Thank you to those of you who wrote in and continue to engage with us. Send us a message. Send us your thoughts on any episode, anything we've covered. Just honor our no-spoilers policy. If you write about something that happened in Season 6, we're not going to talk about it until we get there. But thank you so much for listening to all of you. This segment is brought in in appreciation of all of you for bringing us to where we are. This is a officially a successful podcast, and we have only our listeners and the great geniuses behind The Sopranos to thank for that. And with that said, it's time for our final top three. Final <laughs> top three. It's the final, final top, three. top three. Oh, you're violating some copyright there now. Oh, okay, oh careful. Dear. Oh my. Oh careful. my. Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> Who started? Who's up? Whoever you want, man. I'll start. My number three. To save us all from Satan's power. Nice. Um, honorable mention. Employee of the month. It didn't make top three for me. We'll talk about it. Um, my number three is university. Mm. Uh, quick honorable mentions. Employee of the month, fortunate son, and are you listening, Alan? Pro Shiley Bushka. <laughs> number three, Pine Barrens. Mm. You guys gave honorable mentions, so I'll drop mine. University would be my honorable mention, so I'm with you on that. So, yeah, my number two, Amorfu. Number two, Pine Barrens. Number two, University. Mm. Number one, Employee of the Month. Number one, Amorfu. Number one, Amorfu. All right. So we've, it's the same five episodes in all of our top three and honorable mentions, I think right? so. It's, 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 save us we, all from so Satan's we gotta power. Talk about, save us all from Satan's power. We gotta talk about Amorfu. We gotta talk about Employee of the Month. And University. And University. Those are, okay. the, those are the ones that cracked the, the These are huge episodes. And Pine Barrens. You said Pine Barrens. And Pine Barrens, Pine I'm Barons sorry. Okay. And Pine Barrens was my three. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Was there any one of those that only made an honorable mention? No. So it doesn't, uh, it doesn't I, actually matter what order we go in then, right? Yeah. Why don't we start um, with University? Great. University was uh, an episode that I had seen uh, originally, because not all of season three was, was part of something I had seen when it originally aired. A lot of this is new for me. Um, I have remembered University for years now. It's been 20 years since that episode aired, and it's it's haunted me. Um, not only is it the grand reveal of who Ralphie Cifaretta really is, the monster behind the mask, but it is just this really close look at Tony starting to realize some of the business that he's in and seeing this girl, Tracy, as a person, and there is this horrible, you know, beauty in that realization. And, um... I really love the actor that plays Tracy. I think she's wonderful and perfectly cast. Uh, I am nauseated by the scene in which she dies, but I think the episode is, like, really important. I really enjoy and, um, you know, I, I like having con conversations about the juxtaposition between the girls that work in the Bing and what their lives are like, particularly Tracy, and, you know, how we seem to devalue them, but we will value someone like Meadow, who is, you know, similar in age and just born under different circumstances. I felt University was like an important episode. Very much. And I thought as a kind of a continuation to college, it was like another one of those episodes where it was just like, this is an episode you talk about in isolation as a piece that is really meaningful. I agree. And the thing about University that does it for me, too, as an honorable mention, and could have easily been in my top three if the winds were blowing it in a different direction, uh, is that it... A great piece of art, an episode of something, a movie, a painting, whatever, prompts questions, provokes questions, and provokes discussion. 
what I love about university is not only that it is a stone-cold, brutal reminder of who these men are and the way that they behave and let, not letting you fall too in love with them, because that's important to do. It provoked one of my favorite discussions on our podcast to date, which is where is the line for these guys for when a woman is a wife or a daughter, someone to be respected and protected and, and held, held in close quarters and not dishonored right. versus, well, she was just a whore. She's property. Right. And where does that line happen? How is that formation, how is that calculus considered? Mm-hmm. Where is that? And that's fascinating subject matter. It was one of my favorite discussions we had. So for that reason, mm. university is a brilliant piece of art, and it's powerful, and it's well told. Yeah, I think it's a step for the show. As Jordan said, it's a horrible beauty that imbues the episode with this power. And I think, I can't say it any better than you guys did. It was something that was very challenging. Uh, it was not always pleasant. So, you know, I chose it in my list, not necessarily because I'm rushing back to watch it, but because of how well executed it is, which is reflected in some other choices. The kink song that I think is so perfectly utilized, um, a number of the sequences that are really well executed. Um, But again, as I said at the top, they're consciously making these choices to show us some things that are not always pretty. Same would go for talking about employee of the month. It's like, yeah, this is not easy to watch, but it's not a fucking accident. Yeah. You know. Actually, let's go ahead and transition then. Why don't we talk about Employee of the Month, the other very, very difficult episode this season? Yeah, uh, it's it was my number one, so I'll, I'll take initiative again. Please. And someone else can start the conversation on the next one. Sure. But Employee of the Month was, you have to have balls to cover the subject matter, number one. it's When you're dealing with something like a rape, it's you have to be cautious as artists, what you're saying, what you're depicting, how you're portraying it, and... It always goes, this one always goes back to my grandmother for me. And I mentioned, I may have mentioned this on the podcast. I don't remember. But if I did, if I did, it's a repeat story. I you, won't get you, into it. You did mention it. I did mention it. Yes. Okay. That, That's okay. Tell she's, it again. She's the kind of person who will shut off a movie if people are swearing and using vulgarities and behaving in immoral ways. And yet, even she noted the dignity and poise and skill with which this story was told, that she was able to appreciate that, speaks to the job they did telling this story. And whether or not you agree, or there have been a lot of other shows, even on HBO since then, that have not perhaps covered the topic of rape as delicately and as precisely and as art artistically as The Sopranos did. So it's tough. It's tough. And they nailed it. And not only did they nail it, just because it's an episode that depicts a rape, they nailed the drama, the story of it. This this woman, Dr. Melfi, who is she? Characters have interesting moments when their metal is tested. It's easy to talk a big game, but when you actually are in that position where you have to make the decision and the chips are down, Melfi made the choice. And it's so powerful, her journey, the way she's interacting with the men around her, the emotional labor she has to carry in the aftermath of her own rape because the men around her are not making it better is just beautiful. Yeah, It's beautiful. I love it. Lorraine Bracco is a queen. This has to be a top episode for me. And 
I know it wasn't your number ones for this season. Amorfu is a masterpiece. It's my number two. But it's this... If we do a series retrospective, and we're talking about top three series episodes, this might be in my top three. Just because for me, it's everything that The Sopranos is about. It's the morality of this life and the decisions you make with the power you have in it. And it's the best feature for Melfi possible. Yeah. Uh, Chris, I can't do better than that. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, what's next? Uh, how about To Save Us All From Satan's Great. Power? All right, well, I was the only one who picked that, so I'll rant a little more. But this one's a much shorter explanation. Well, I liked it, too. It just didn't make a list for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we all loved it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, as, as we record this, I'm getting ready to put that out next week. It's a little timeline there as far as when we record stuff. It's our next episode coming out, so I've been listening to it. So we all loved it. Interesting about the Save Us All from Satan's Power. Great flashbacks. Great flashbacks. Now, that's, I mean, that's a we big love thing. Them. Paul, I... I, I Correct me if I'm wrong, because you're here to defend yourself. Paul, as a general rule, is not a fan of the flashback. Why is that? It, um, like, as a device, you mean? As a, as a general as a device. device. On TV, it's used lazily. Uh, flashbacks are too long, even mm. on good shows. Yeah, yeah. There are, obviously, exceptions, because when they work, they're good, and they work here. Another thing The Sopranos does that could suck, but doesn't are these flashbacks. I enjoy the context. A good flashback, especially this far into a story, should enhance what comes before, and this accomplishes that. It gives you more time with some characters you maybe wanted more time of. Jackie April looms so large because of the importance of Tony and Jackie Jr.'s relationship this season. It's nice that we got a little bit more of Jackie April Sr. and got to see it. And it was cool to see The Sopranos in another time period, sitting there, and, and the way they did it, the way they showed you when it was by framing it around the OJ trial was such a brilliant little touch. Yep. And again, the cycles of hypocrisy that are displayed, Junior's having a sit-down for hijacking some trucks that he shouldn't have been hijacking, which is what he was making a gripe about in season one with Christopher, the cycle of it, the hypocrisy of it, getting a few more minutes with Big Pussy, not as a ghost in a mirror, but seeing the tragic downfall of it all, that the whole time he was not what Tony thought him to be. At least the whole time we saw him as an audience member, and we came to love him and appreciate his presence on the show. But it was nice to get a few extra minutes with these characters who are no longer with us. And because they're no longer with us, it added a ghostly, wintry Tony on the docks with the snow around him, which evoked the snow and the imagery from Funhouse, was so cool to look at. And it added this ghostly, ghost of Christmas past, Scrooge kind of thing. That plus my personal Chris D'Amato bias for episodes of shows that are centered around events or holidays makes this a favorite for me in season three. I agree. I, listen, I, I can't do better than you just did on the description of that. Uh, those are all the reasons why I enjoyed this episode as well. I love the flashbacks in this one. I always want more from Jackie Sr. Yeah. Because his presence is so felt on the show, so getting that little flashback was helpful. And it, you know, it, that flashback in particular, that one flashback in particular, really, um, it almost like retrofits the show with like more connective tissue between the seasons. It's just really yeah. nice. I like it a lot. Yeah, there's like great fun ironies about the way that some of it's done. Like by this point in the actual chronology of the show, Gigi's dead. Yeah. But Gigi's in one of the flashbacks as one of Junior's underlings. It's just great the way they put all that stuff together. One of my favorites is always the way that it all comes together, I think, maybe by Satriali's um, Polly 
and Silvio and Tony having an espresso talking about Big Pussy and talking about that betrayal. And, of course, they were the ones who disposed of him. And the scene is very funny, but it's painful as well. So, uh, not to mention the payoff in that episode. Some of the tags on these episodes in this season are nuts, and that's one of them. When Meadow gives him the big mouth billy bass. Yep. Yeah. Look, Gandolfini's face, his acting. It's terrific. Again, talk about good storytelling. You don't need him to say anything. So don't have him say anything. Except yeah. thanks, hon. And just have him stare. <laughs> Out. You know? Yep. That could have been another music moment, by the way. Take me to the river. It could have been. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's now been added. Uh, okay. Pine, Pine Barrens. Barons. Meh. Right? Right, man, right. <laughs> <laughs> So we should discuss this a bit because uh, obviously it was one of our favorite episodes this season. Many people have said this is one of their favorite episodes of the series. It is. I've a, seen some articles that say this is the series' best episode. Um, we talked about it a little bit on our Pine Barrens episode, stopping by Woods on a snowy evening. Uh, we could revisit this again now. Where do you guys feel this stands in the canon of the whole series, since you guys are more sort of the series experts than I am? I see why it's an easy pick for people's favorite. You have to remember this is another thing, too, that I try to keep in mind when I rate art. The distinction between the words favorite and best yes. are, I see those as two different things. They are. There are things that I love that people think are trash. You know what I mean? And I think everybody has that. Everybody yeah. has that movie they love or that show that no one else can stand, but you love it, right? right. Everyone has that thing. Again, I love Congo. <laughs> Congo's a bad Congo, movie. Yeah, there you, exactly. <laughs> so there you go. Now, there are no Mr. bad... Mr. Amolka, stop eating my sesame cake. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. <laughs> You know what I like is uh, that, um, what's the middle, The Last Jedi. Yeah. No, I'm kidding, I don't like that. That movie is fucking garbage. Um, This podcast, you you just got so much hate by even bringing up Star Wars. You just awakened something horrible. We can't say the the Star Wars word on this show. I did it again. Like, something horrible just happened. So many lives were snuffed out at once. Every, like, at least 70% of the assholes on the internet just tightened. Yeah, the the force just awakened. (laughs) When you you talk about Star Wars, you get a million. All right, stop, stop, stop. Pine Barrens. So favorite versus best. It's an episode you like, but you don't think it's the best. I love Pine Barrens. I think it's actually even artistically a great episode. Yes, it's good. I see why it's people's favorites. It's funny. Yep. It's perfectly illustrates what The Sopranos is about, which is this conflict between the two families. You have all this personal shit going on. Gloria's situation is really escalating at home while Paulie... And then you also... It's a new element. There's no other episode that looks like this. Two assholes stuck in the woods. And they're completely ill-equipped to deal with it. And they're completely outmatched. And there's mystery. And it's... So there's a lot there. They're trying to survive. And it's fucking funny. People love to laugh. It's funny. Pine Barrens is an objectively hilarious episode. I loved it. It's a standout for the season. I don't know why necessarily a standout for the series. It was an easy pick for me this season. I really liked it a lot. I don't. There's, there's even, no other even episode in, like it. It is. It's true. I think. But that, I was gonna say even in the even if I were to do like a, a scoring of like the first three seasons, I don't think it would make a top three for me. Really? For seasons yeah. one, two, three. I, I agree with I, you. I don't know. Well, listen. Yeah. It wasn't we'll, in my top three. So. We'll see at the end. Uh, I really like the episode a lot. I love that it's so much of Christopher and Polly, who this season have been at each other's throats the entire time. So forcing them to work through their, their issues in this specific way is great. The stuff at home is great. The guy that plays the Russian is awesome. And those oh, scenes yeah. with him, however brief, are terrific. I 
like that, I sort of the narrative structure of Pine Barrens is kind of like, you know, yeah, you're, you're lost in the woods. All these characters are kind of at odds with themselves. They don't know how to move forward. You have to find your way out of the woods. I mean, the, there's no clearer metaphor for feeling lost in life than being lost in the woods. That's how it's literally used in literature. So I, I think that lines up well. I think Steve Buscemi does a hell of a job directing this episode. Hell it's awesome. Um, and you get a little bit of like almost like a Samuel Beckettness to what's going on with with Chris and Polly in the in the woods. And it's cool to bring high art down to people who will just think, oh, this is funny, and not, oh, this is you know meaningful in an existential way. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Waiting for Gabones. Um, <laughs> so like. That's a way better title. <laughs> I think that uh, yeah, Pine Barrens. One of the things about it. Um, I couldn't describe a typical Sopranos episode because there isn't a typical Sopranos right. episode. That's one of the things about it. The that said, like it's not as good as College, but like College, it's got one storyline that is an isolated incident. And The Sopranos does do that well. That's a great point, Paul. I don't want to cut you off, but this is an episode that you could in theory yes. show someone who's never seen it yep. and they not only would enjoy it, but it would get them interested in the show. Yep. Like I, I can't imagine somebody being sat down to watch Pine Barrens having never seen a Sopranos episode and not wanting to say, oh, I want to watch... Where, right. Where's this on you, HBO? You basically could watch just that. Yeah. Yeah, so the reason I chose it, I put it, I think it's like third on my... Yeah, it's three on my list. Um, is that I think it's distinctive. It was distinctive for me in this season. It is a lot of fun. It's also the... My favorite storyline in the season is not paying off here, but it is ratcheting up quick because mm -hmm. the other stuff we've been sort of humming along with Gloria like something's up with her but Tony doesn't see it yeah that's the that's the that's the sticking point right like and so here he start he's like whoa he can't he can't sidestep it anymore so there's that and also him balancing it all it's just a, it's a great episode the way it all comes together and even though there's very serious things as we've talked about because we've got quotes from it and moments from it it's a really funny episode yeah all right, which just leaves... Amorfu. Amorfu. Which Boring. we've talked a lot about because <laughs> we have a lot of lines and moments from, but what do you want to say about Amorfu as a whole uh, episode? Paul, it's obviously why don't you lead? All, oh, all, all, no, all, all I wanted to say is thank you, Frank Renzulli, for your contribution to the show. This was his last last episode. And what a loss, because I've so enjoyed his work. His episodes are always very good. Am I allowed to ask why he left? Do we know why? I don't know. I don't know that we know why. I don't know that that's out there. Maybe I'll look into it. Uh, but, yeah. I don't know. He was just such a presence. Uh, Paul, do you want to lead us on Amorfu? Yes. This episode is the payoff of one of my favorite storylines ever. It might be my favorite episode of the series. I just love the way all this comes together. Each, Even each individual beat. I love that Gloria surprises Tony in the garage. In the underground mm. garage. And that's like where Melfi got attacked and sexually assaulted. And it's becoming less and less clear who the danger is here. And then in that last scene with Tony and Gloria, it's one of the best scenes on The Sopranos, I think. Among the many things about it is that I actually feel like it forces me to confront both the fact that Gloria is dangerous, this is real, and that and Tony is, of course, dangerous, because Tony is fulfilling this fantasy that she seems to have. And also, I feel a little weird about Tony saying, you're just like my fucking mother, even though she kind of is, because her reaction to it is also real. She's like, fine, burn me at the stake. 
It's all so it's very troubling. Um, so is the storyline with Jackie. It's actually also quite a sad story, even though there are funny moments in it. So it all blazes at this point near, right near the end when everything goes to shit. And it starts this process where the last two episodes both have bleakly comic moments, but uh, are both pretty devastating, mm. I think. So that's why it stands out for me. Um, and in fact, I think I actually got to give a shout out. Another moment that stands out that we've already talked about is Patsy at the end. Mm. So And the sequence with the, all the guys going home. I just think it comes together really well. Yeah, uh, I'll only add to that, which was beautiful, Paul. Thank you. Uh, I'll only add to that. I really enjoy the Jackie Jr. scenes, uh, in particular the robbery that goes yeah. wrong, the death of Sunshine, the uh, killing of Dino in the street by Christopher, which mm. is one of Christopher's defining moments this season. Um, obviously, the A-plot is Tony and, and Gloria, uh, and we've already really, really gone into why all those moments are, are terrific. I just, um, I'm rarely so compelled from minute one to the final shot of an episode the way I am with this one and that final shot of just Patsy driving home with his groceries or being asked to pick up groceries or whatever no with the groceries I think at that point uh I I love it I love it I was um I was listening back to our episode on Amorphu and um I had kind of asked like I don't really get the last shot and and you guys kind of especially Paul I think you kind of illuminated like well even these guys get to go home they have someone to go home to and uh, the implication being Gloria, Gloria does not. She does not return to a state of normalcy at the end of the day, right? She's still out there in the wild and alone in her in her way. And that really resonates with me in so much of what this show tries to say about her and about these men. It's an incredible episode of television. And uh, for me, normally my one, two, three are very close because um, the episodes are all of such good quality. For me, Amorfu is like several spots ahead of like a second place pick for me so it's, it's a, like a seer potential series best I, I think a potential series best of what i, I wouldn't seen. argue with it yeah well said guys i have very little to add to that we've talked a lot about it in various other subjects so thank you for your articulation there season three that's a wrap guys hey! thank you all so much if whether you view season six as one or two seasons we're basically close to the halfway point we're excited to get into season four. Jordan has very little memory. Or, I remember nothing uh, of season four, or maybe maybe didn't even watch most of it when possibly it was not. So I'm excited to have his fresh eyes on that, and I'm also excited to revisit it. It's one of those seasons that I appreciate more the older I get, and perhaps maybe didn't respect it enough when I first watched it as a very young man. It's one of those that really grows on you, I think. So I'm excited to cover it with these guys. We're excited to continue bringing this show to you. We ain't slowing down. We ain't stopping. We're going to keep going. And this has been a wonderful part of our year this past year. It's been a weird couple of years for the world, folks. But this has been a lovely go-to for us. And we also appreciate each and every one of you for helping us out. I know we've said that ad nauseum. But... That's it. Thank you for season three. Is there anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up? I just hope that the folks that have stuck with us this long will hang out for season four. Yeah. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening, and keep on listening. Especially you, Alan. Especially you, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> he might be like our one download in the Netherlands. That's right. That's <laughs> he's, holding, he's holding the Netherlands down for us. That's his territory. <laughs> yes, that's our Netherlands demographic we have to reach. Alan, thank you. Everyone else, thank you. <laughs> we love you. 
We love The Sopranos. Season 4 coming at you. I don't think we're planning on taking a break, but if an episode is a week or two late after this, relax. I promise we're coming back. We're going all we're going through all 86 and some more. We have some other ideas to keep the show going. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And I'm the spirit of Lily Goodman D'Amato. And we'll be back next time with season four. Thank you all. <laughs> Almost time for turkey sandwiches! <laughs>